the 8th of September 1988, Sutherland Railway Station, about 30 kilometres southwest of Sydney. Janine Balding has just left the train from work and was walking towards her car in the fading light around 6pm. Here, she is confronted by a gang of youths and is bundled into her car at knife point. Two days later, her body would be found hogtied floating in a dam at Minchinbury, about 45 kilometres west of Sydney. This episode has descriptions of violence and rape, so please be forewarned. Hi, this is your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. So the story I'm going to tell you today is one of utter senseless violence perpetrated on a totally innocent victim that just by chance had to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It will also tell of the great strength of the family affected by this crime in having to endure the long process of gaining justice for a loved one. So I'll start the story at the early part of the 8th of September 1988. On this day, a group of homeless people would come together. This group included 22-year-old Stephen Shorty Jamison, 14-year-old Bronson Blessington, 16-year-old Matthew Elliott, 15-year-old Wayne Wilmot, and 15-year-old Carol Arrow. So basically, a bunch of street kids and an older guy. Matthew Elliott would first meet up with Stephen Shorty Jamison at Belmore Park near Central Station. Elliott already had convictions for burglary, arson and car stealing. Shorty Jamison, nicknamed because of his stunted physique, had lived on the streets for 11 years and had convictions for malicious wounding, robbery and sexual assault. Next to join the group was Wilmot, who already had charges of sexual assault and stealing. His girlfriend Carol would meet up with him, as well as the youngest Blessington, who at the age of 14 had already spent five years on the street. Now Carol was mentally challenged and had only just run away from home, so she was probably the least streetwise of them all. At this time, it was suggested by Elliot, who wanted to assert some kind of leadership over the group, why don't we get a Sheila and rape her? The group agreed. So this Elliot character ended up stealing a bottle of rum from a bottle shop and the group jumped on the train for a ride. They were taking speed pills and harassing passengers, with Shorty Jamison flashing a copy of Penthouse to the people on the train. His behaviour and looks meant that you weren't going to forget that train ride in a hurry. Basically, they were being a bunch of dicks. Eventually, they disembarked at Sutherland Railway Station, about a 45-minute train ride south from the city. They would loiter around one of the car parks at the station for a few hours. As late afternoon approached, 19-year-old Christine Mobley as late afternoon approached, 19-year-old Christine Mobley 
was getting off the train after work and walked down to where she'd parked her car. She could see the gang hanging around, so she got her keys out ready to quickly jump in her car in case something were to happen, as the gang looked pretty sus. She was able to get in her car and close the door as the gang members approached her and Elliot asked her for the time. She told him the time and then he asked her if she had any smokes. She told him she didn't smoke. He then asked her if she had any money and as she looked across at him, she saw he had a yellow bladed flick knife in his hand. She quickly started the car and drove off. She will soon realise how lucky she was. When she got home, she told her boyfriend Barry what had happened. Even though he was all plastered up with a broken leg, he told Christine that they should go and report what had happened to the police. They drove down to the local cop shop at Sutherland and reported the incident. The cops take down the details of the incident, but don't really treat it as a serious matter. So they don't dispatch a patrol car to go and have a look. Christine and Barry make their way home, but decide to drive past the car park and have a look for themselves. When they arrive, they see the gang harassing a young girl, 20-year-old Janine Balding, who was trying to get into her car. As Barry has a broken leg, they decide not to confront the gang, and so they chuck a Yui back to the police station to inform the coppers. Christine runs into the police station and barges past everyone to tell the officer on duty that the gang she had informed them of before were now harassing a young woman. Police dispatch a patrol car, but it goes to the car park on the other side of the train station. By the time they check out the correct car park, Janine, the gang and her car were gone. So they don't see anything, nor do they see any evidence of a struggle. Now Janine Balding, born on the 7th of October 1967, was a 20-year-old bank teller who worked at the State Bank in Sydney CBD. She lived at Cronulla, which was another five stations on from Sutherland, with her sister in the family holiday house. She would not normally park at Sutherland, but the night before she'd stayed over at a boyfriend's house nearby, and in the morning this was the closest station to catch a train to work. Janine was a country girl from Wagga Wagga, where her parents Beverly and Kerry Balding had lived and established a family business. So after finishing work, Janine had to pick a car up at Sutherland Station rather than get off at her normal stop at Cronulla. It was around 6pm when she got off the train and walked down to the car park. Here she was confronted by the gang and they asked her the same questions that they had asked Christine earlier. This time they were more prepared and were able to surround her and block her entry into the car. At this point, they grabbed her and threatened to cut her face if she did not do what they told her to do. They bundled her into the back of her Holden Gemini with Blessington, Elliot and Jamison getting in there with her. Wilmot grabbed her keys and he got in the driver's seat with Carol Arrow jumping in the front passenger seat. Janine was terrified at this stage, screaming and trying to fight off her attackers. Wilmot started the car and drove off towards Minchinbury, which would be almost an hour's drive from Sutherland. 
along the way, Blessington, Elliot and Jamison would molest and rape Janine while she screamed and struggled in vain, all the time Elliot threatening her with his knife. Janine pleaded with her abductors to let her go, but they continued with their attack. As they continue along towards Minchinbury, one of the gang says, Tonight's a good night for a murder, which they then all agreed. The panic that must have overcome Janine at this stage must have been tremendous. Eventually, they get to Minchinbury via the F4, which is now the M4 freeway, and pull over just past the Archibald Road Bridge. Here they take Janine out of the car and continue to rape her. They then get some rope that was in the boot or trunk of the car and hogtie her. They carry her and throw her over a barbed wire fence. The fall breaks Janine's wrist. Next, they take her to the edge of a small dam and shove her face down into the water. Janine was still struggling as she tried to resist her attackers. She clenched reeds in the water trying to pull herself up and catch her breath. Eventually, after gulping in quantities of dirty dam water into her lungs, her fight gave up and she was dead. She was stripped of her jewellery, including her engagement ring that her fiancé had given her for their planned marriage early in the next year. They left her there, floating in the dam, and went back to the car. The gang then went through her purse and found her credit card and her PIN number that she'd written down on paper. They drove off, but the car soon broke down, and so they walked to nearby Mount Druitt, where they withdrew cash from her credit card, and covered in mud, they proceeded to go and buy some thongs. Thongs in Australia are flip-flops, not G-strings. Here they also call a guy called Goldfinger to sell off a jewellery. They then get on a train back to Sydney and split up. Blessington and Elliot would then go to Sydney's Hyde Park and boast to another street kid named Elizabeth what they had done that night. Shorty Jamison took off to Queensland. So later that night, Blessington and Elliot took a train to Gosford north of Sydney, disposing of Janine's credit cards along the way. The next day, they steal a car and drive it to the Cobham Youth Centre in the western suburbs. At this stage, Janine had not been noticed missing. Police had found Janine's car abandoned alongside the freeway, where it had broken down the day before. They noticed that there was a pair of undies inside and not far away there was a handbag. The police call in detectives and they searched the area and found other items belonging to Janine. They called her work and she was not there. Her fiancé hadn't seen her either since the previous morning. They called her sister and found that she was not at home either. They then contacted Kerry Balding, her father, and told him that they had found Janine's car, but Janine was missing. So back at Cobbon Youth Centre, Elliot and Blessington confessed that they had stolen a car, and when police turn up to question them, 
They show police the yellow-handled knife they had used the day before to threaten Janine. They then tell police that they know about the girl that had been abducted and killed and that they could help the police in relation to it. Now the only reason I can think they would do this is to possibly help themselves out with a stolen car issue and maybe to try to blame others before someone else dobs them in. At this stage, Janine's body had not been found. Either way, they were streetwise feral kids that had found that the juvenile justice system had repeatedly slapped them on the wrists for even serious crimes in the past and that they would probably get away with murder as well. Blessington and Elliot took, to, took police to where they indicated that they knew where Janine was. By this time, it was nearly midnight and police were directed to the dam at Mitchenberry. Here they quickly located a floating object in the dam, which turned out to be the body of Janine Balding. At nearly 4am on the 10th of September, the detectives called Bev and Kerry Balding, advising them that they have found what they believe to be the body of their daughter Janine. Police then arrest Blessington and Elliot, who give up the names of the other three, Shorty Jamison, Wilmot and Carol Arrow. They would eventually all be arrested and placed in custody. The following autopsy showed that she had drowned, had sustained a broken wrist and had been sexually assaulted. This would be one of the first cases to use DNA evidence in Australia. They would all confess to being there that night but denied that they raped and killed Janine. They would all be charged with theft, abduction, sexual assault and murder. Initially, they all told the same story, but blamed it on another street kid called Scott Aegis. But Scott would have an alibi, having been with another youth worker at the time of the abduction and murder. Witnesses would be called, and Christine Mobley, the girl that had been approached by the gang earlier at Sutherland train station, she identifies Elliot in a police lineup. They found the lady that sold the yellow knife to Elliot and Blessington days before the attack and she was able to identify them as well. Blessington's DNA was found in swabs taken, indicated he had sexually assaulted Janine. Wilmot's fingerprints were found on the steering wheel of Janine's car as well. They were also seen by a guy that knew Elliot very well at Mount Druitt Shops the night of the attack when they went to buy thongs with the money they stole out of Janine's account. He saw that they were all covered in wet mud and this was backed up by Goldfinger, the guy who bought Janine's rings off the ferals. Wilmot also gave Janine's watch to Carol Arrow. So police have plenty of evidence and proceed to the first committal hearing and then to trial. The committal hearing is told how Janine begged for her life. At the first trial, after a few weeks, the Ferrells tell the court that it is not Shorty Jamison, but Shorty Wells that was present during the attack. This causes a mistrial while police have to track down the other Shorty. But it is clear that it was Shorty Jamison and not Shorty Wells, 
as witnesses on the train that day and at Mount Druitt after the attack clearly state it was the distinctive-looking Jamison that they saw. If you want to see how distinctive-looking he is, go to my Instagram page where there is a photo of him. You will see what I mean by distinctive-looking. My Instagram is at True Crime Island. Before the next trial, murder charges are dropped for Wilmot as he stayed in the car at the time of the murder. He pleads guilty to rape, abduction and theft and is sentenced to 10 years jail. But more on him later. Most charges against Carol Arrows are dropped because of her mentally challenged state. She would be found guilty of accessory to murder and sentenced to a three years good behaviour bond plus the 19 months of time served in custody. At the second trial, all three remaining accused, Stephen Shorty Jamison, Bronson Blessington and Matthew Elliott, are found guilty of abduction, sexual assault, robbery and murder. In sentencing the defendants, Justin Newman said, To sentence people so young to a long term of imprisonment is of course a heavy task. However, the facts surrounding the commission of these crimes are so barbaric that I believe I have no alternative other than to impose upon these young prisoners, even despite their age, a life sentence. So grave is the nature of this case that I recommend that none of the prisoners in the matter should ever be released. Stephen Wayne Jamison, sentenced to life imprisonment plus 25 years. Matthew James Elliott, sentenced to life imprisonment plus 25 years. Bronson Matthew Blessington, sentenced to life imprisonment plus 25 years. Blessington and Elliott would become the youngest killers in Australia to be convicted and given the maximum sentence for murder. This would be controversial because at the time they committed the murder and were sentenced, they were aged 14 and 16 respectively, but the general public wanted blood and there were calls at the time to bring back the death penalty. In 2007, Elliot and Blessington were granted an additional appeal because there was a staple missing from one of their files. Okay, I know defence lawyers have to do the best for their clients, but for fuck's sake, these guys are guilty as sin and they are trying to get them off or get a retrial because a staple is missing from one of the files. It was argued because the Crown indictment was not stapled to the court file, it was not fixed to the court file as required by law and the judgment was therefore not technically finalised. Thank God the High Court had enough sense to throw this bullshit out. So Wilmot did seven and a half years and was paroled. Soon after his release, he was returned to prison for seven years after an attempted abduction and rape of a young girl in Western Sydney. He would later be linked to an earlier attack on a 19-year-old woman at Leightonfield after undertaking a DNA testing program for prisoners. Shorty Jamison still denied taking part in the murder, 
blaming the other shorty wells and in 2003 the New South Wales Innocence Project used, used the latest DNA techniques to review the DNA evidence of the crime. They would not find either of their DNA in the swabs taken. Police Minister John Watkins announced that the New South Wales Innocence Project would be suspended as it was now open to abuse by prisoners that were clearly guilty. Jamison had a politician on his side called Peter Breen, who's been in almost as many political parties as he has contested elections. Breen, who once announced, I love Shorty Jamison and I'm not afraid to say so, and also saying the statement that he loves a Blessington and that he causes me to blink at the stars. What the fuck is this guy on and how can he live with himself? Janine's mother Bev, who has since passed away, was angered by Preen's comments and wished that public money should not be spent on these clearly guilty offenders. I'm not going to get into complex legal speak here today. Basically, at the time these ferals committed the crimes against Janine, there was a public outcry over remissions to prisoners' sentences that could see prisoners' non-parole terms slashed to a third. What came out of this is truth in sentencing, basically making the original sentence stand without remissions. At about the same time as the truth in sentencing changes were being introduced by the Sentencing Act of 1989, the United Nations published the Convention on the Rights of the Child 1989. The convention included the following provision, Article 37. States parties shall ensure that a. No child shall be subjected to torture or other cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment or punishment. Neither capital punishment nor life imprisonment without possibility of release shall be imposed for sentences committed by persons below 18 years of age. As it stands, none of the three convicted of the murder of Janine will get out of prison according to the following. Serious offenders, the subject of non-release recommendations. After considering the application, the parole board may make an order directing the release of the offender on parole if, and only if, the parole board, A, is satisfied on the basis of a report prepared by the Chief Executive Officer of the Corrections Health Service that the offender, one, is in imminent danger of dying or is incapacitated to the extent that he or she no longer has the physical ability to do harm to any person, and two, has demonstrated that he or she does not pose a risk to the community, and b, is further satisfied because of those circumstances, the making of such an order is justified. Now Blessington, who was only 14 at the time he committed the murder, reckons he has found God and that according to the United Nations published Convention on the Rights of the Child 1989, that he should be considered for parole. Well, Blessington, just remember what the judge reckons about your actions that day. Actions that you knew well were wrong. Actions that you could have stepped away from. Actions that you egged others on to commit.
This surely must be one of the most barbaric murders ever committed in the sad criminal history of the state. And the facts surrounding the commission of these crimes are so barbaric that I believe I have no alternative other than to impose upon these young prisoners, even despite their age, a life sentence. So grave is the nature of this case that I recommend that none of the prisoners in this matter should ever be released. So that's what the judge said. So Blessington, just remember that. So the three main offenders are still locked up and will probably remain that way until they are about to die. I reckon they should stay locked up. At the time, even though two of them were so-called children, they were street-hardened and had learnt their way around the juvenile justice system. Blessington, Elliot and Jamison were never going to become model citizens or contribute anything to society. They were feral and would have spent their lives in and out of jail even if they hadn't perpetrated this evil, barbaric crime against Janine Balding. It is just a fact of life that some people are either born bad or turn bad. We're not talking about a bunch of guys stealing a car or two or getting into fights at a pub. They picked a random and innocent girl who had done nothing at all to provoke them and they decided that they were going to rape her and then murder her for all their thrills that night. They got caught and the justice system sent them away for the term of their natural lives. Sometimes regardless of remorse or good behaviour, some criminals need to be locked up and the key thrown away. One thing that really stands out in these cases is how strong the family, especially the parents, have to be when suddenly thrust into the public arena. From living their normal lives, then having the loss of a loved one and all the media attention, the court cases and sometimes multiple cases having to be sat through while having to listen to the horrific details their said loved ones endured in the last moments of their lives and having to sit metres away from the culprits. The Morecams, the Levisons and the Baldings are just three of these amazingly strong families that I've talked about in recent episodes. All have shown such strength in the face of adversity. Okay, I think I've spent enough time on these characters and I think I've said enough. So true, Crime Islanders. That's been another sad criminal case. This episode has been recorded at Jomtian, Thailand using my mobile recording setup. So please, if the audio quality is not as it has been, I apologise and I will be back on the big island and recording in the usual studio next episode. For discussion on this and any other episode, you can go to my Twitter, which which is at True Crime Island. I've got a Facebook page. Just search for True Crime Island and look for photos on my Instagram account, at True Crime Island, which is really well set up now that Maggie is in charge. Of course, if you go to my website, there are links to all these as well as links to Stitcher as well. Here you can also download episodes or stream them from the episode page. You can leave me an email at cambo at truecrimeisland.com and I would love to hear your true crime stories for either an upcoming special or to be read out after each episode. I'll see what the response is like. 
A big shout out to all my podcaster friends and listeners. You all make this worthwhile. Some of the Twitter posts are hilarious, so I reckon go and have a look and join in the conversation. Also, a big shout out to the guys at the Podcast We Listen To Facebook page and True Crime Podcast Facebook page. Jeremy and Ricky run those sites and they are a great resource if you're looking to fill up your podcatcher subscriptions. There's plenty of podcast owners there, so you can chat and ask some questions as well. There's also a promotion going on for podcasters called Hashtag Two Pods A Day, run by the guys at www.ouramericana.com. Well, that's our-americana.com, where podcast hosts get to review other podcasts. Definitely worth a look. They are also on Twitter at Two Pods A Day. So, well worth having a look at that. Okay, it's free t-shirt time now. And the lovely Katie has chosen Joe Varney. So please email me your details and I'll post off one when I get back on back onto the true crime island. Well, that's all from me, your host Cambo. Don't forget to delete your browser history. This has been True Crime Island, another true crime podcast.